Well, we've been, we've been on quite the journey throughout this fall, haven't we? Uh, we've spent really every week since August unpacking and exploring who Jesus is, the life he lived, and, and really what, what that life means for us here and now. Um, there's something about who Jesus was and who Jesus is that has not quite left the world the same. He's not left the world the same. We've been exploring, thank you, Michelle. We've been exploring the invitation from Jesus to come and, to come and follow him. We've been asking questions like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And if that's true, if that's the thing that matters, like really, at the end of the day, why does that question even matter for me? Does it matter if I follow Jesus? Does that question even matter? Today, we're finishing up our series on the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. So even now, if you have your Bibles with you, why don't you open up to Matthew chapter 5? Matthew chapter 5. And we found out the word beatitude means a state of utmost bliss. Now, I, just for curiosity's sake, I looked up the word bliss this week. I, I figured I knew what it meant, but I really wanted to understand. And if you look up the word bliss in the dictionary, it says reaching a state of perfect happiness. That's great, but it's this next part I really want us to capture. Typically so as to be oblivious of everything else. That's pretty cool. Yes, it's the state of perfect happiness, but it's, it's so much so that you tend to be oblivious of everything else. So the claim from Jesus in this section of the Bible, in this section of Matthew, is this life that he's talking about, filled with the Holy Spirit, life in the kingdom, is the way to live. It's the best way to live. It's the most rich way to live. And that's a pretty audacious claim. Do you agree? Especially in our time in history, there's a lot of versions of what a good life is. But Jesus is, the, is saying something very specific in this moment. All this to say, Jesus rarely leaves our lives unaffected. Jesus rarely leaves our lives unaffected. Even if you don't follow Jesus and you have no desire to, even that decision really has to do with Jesus. You know what I'm trying to say? Jesus rarely lives our lives unaffected. There's something about Jesus that we just can't ignore. There's something about Jesus we can't ignore. C.S. Lewis, he's, a, he's an author and he wrote books like the Chronicles of Narnia and many other books, but he said this, talking about Jesus. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord. He would later go on to say that Jesus was either a lunatic, a liar, or he was Lord. Or he was Lord. There's something about Jesus that we just can't ignore. And it was the same for his disciples in the first century. The fact is, he has good news for us, even when the good news is not what we expected. Even when the good news is not what we expected. If you have your Bibles, as I already said, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5 today. And just to put our minds and our hearts kind of in the flow, because we've been breaking this up verse by verse by verse. This morning I want to take a moment and I want to read through the entire uh, 10 or 11 verses and end with our teaching text today. So I'm going to start... In verse 1, 
I'm going to start in verse 1 and end in, in verse 12. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Would you pray with me one more time before we dive in? God, I just thank you for your presence. God, I thank you for your presence. Holy Spirit, would you just fill this space today? Holy Spirit, we just sit in your presence. The invitation, Jesus, is to come and sit at your feet to learn from you. God, would we do that today? As I speak, would we really be learning from you, Jesus, today? We love you. Your people are listening today. Amen. Like any other wise and intentional teacher, Jesus comes to the end of this specific teaching very, very much on purpose. It's kind of an interesting and maybe even a confusing way for Jesus to bookend this entire teaching. As a recap, Jesus has invited men, women, and children to come and follow him. And we, we unpacked that very early on this fall by saying to follow Jesus really means to apprentice under Jesus. The invitation to follow a rabbi like Jesus, it held a ton of weight in society at that time. For a rabbi to come and say, would you follow me, was a really big deal. We touched on this last week, but the crowds and the disciples listening to Jesus, they were, they were listening in anticipation and they were living in anticipation for a king to come and you rescue them from oppression under the Roman Empire. These were Jewish men and women and children, and they were under the rule of the Roman Empire, and they were living in this, this really deep anticipation and hope that somebody was going to come and rescue them. God made a promise that one would come and forever free his people from oppression and lead them into what they knew as the kingdom of God. So when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God here, like even in verse, verse 3 and then again in verse 10, they hear the words kingdom of God and they're like, ah, whoa, I know what he's talking about. That's key language. Jesus is onto something here. Their understanding of this though, this is, this is key right here. Their understanding of this was a giant military rebellion where God's king would take down the enemy physically by force and establish a new world, a new kingdom. And they, they thought that was a literal kingdom, like a, a real physical like, government in the world led by this king. But as Jesus begins unpacking, we've been saying this all series, as he begins unpacking what it really looks like and what it will continue to look like to follow him and to live into this kingdom, 
things start to look different than they expected. For the listeners, this wasn't the freedom they were expecting. For the listeners, this kingdom wasn't really lining up with their kingdom. For the listeners, this king wasn't really who they were hoping for. Then at the very end of all of this, Jesus goes even further and he says, he says a, to a bunch of, of Hebrew men, women, and children who are already, remember, they're already slaves. They're already slaves under the Roman Empire. He says this, blessed are those who are persecuted. To slaves, remember, because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say all these false things about you. What's Jesus saying? He's basically saying this, blessed are all of you who live into everything that I just talked about, everything that I just unpacked for you. Blessed are you who live into that, even though there will be those who don't understand it and will actually be offended by it and will probably even leave you because of it. But I will be with you in all of it. Come again, Jesus? So you're telling me the good news of following you as my rabbi and living into this kingdom of God that we've been hoping for has to do with being persecuted? You do realize the situation we're in, Jesus, right? We live under the oppressive thumb of one of the most ruthless and violent empires that has ever walked the earth, and you're saying the good news is to be persecuted more? We're supposed to be in charge, Jesus. Didn't you talk to God before you came down? We're supposed to be in charge of the kingdom of God, not be left out or persecuted. But like most of us, his followers couldn't quite wrap their heads around what Jesus was really doing. They didn't quite get the upside down truth of the kingdom of God. I read this quote this week from a theologian called, his name's N.T. Wright, and he says it way better than I could. I tried to paraphrase it, but I just gave up. <laughs> he said this, the whole point of the kingdom of God is Jesus has come to bear witness to the true truth. Is that an awesome way to put that? The true truth, which is nonviolent. When God wants to take charge of the world, he doesn't send in the tanks. He sends in the poor and the meek. He sends in the poor and the meek. Why? Because it's the poor and the meek, the way Jesus described them, who are able to see what God is doing right in front of them. They are the ones that are able to see it. Because God wasn't looking for an army to take over the world. God wasn't looking for an army to take over the world. God has been looking for those who would love and serve his kingdom into reality. It's going to be established different. It's going to be established different. The poor in spirit Jesus talked about realized that the kingdoms that they could build for themselves, they simply don't last. They fade. The poor in spirit we've, we've talked about already this fall, that they realize the freeing truth that whatever life they choose to build for themselves really eventually ends up ending with them. The meek Jesus talked about are gentle and they realize that they're not God. They cannot save themselves, but they hear the voice of the Father, and they find the one who can save them. 
They have deeply submitted themselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit. See, in this moment, Jesus is allowing the true truth, the true truth to dismantle their kingdoms so that they could see God. In the most compassionate and loving and grace-filled way, but true way, Jesus is allowing their kingdoms, their understandings, their ideas of what the kingdom of God was gonna be like, kind of start to dismantle just like a building with rotten bricks. When Jesus starts to bring the truth of what the kingdom is and what it really means to follow him, their, their versions of the kingdom start to fade. Truth, truth. The good but difficult thing about the truth is, it's the truth. <laughs> the good but difficult thing about the truth is that it's the truth. You all of a sudden see the truth about something or someone, which is amazing. I don't think any of us in the room like being lied to. I don't. I like, I like being told the truth. I think we all do. No one likes being lied to or nobody likes having the wrong idea of something. I hate that feeling. I hate that feeling of not having the right idea about something. But the difficult thing is, when you know what is true, by default, you start to learn what's false. You know what I'm saying? When you, when you start to see and know and experience what's true, by default, you start to seeing what's not true. That's the heavy part. That's the heavy part. I know it doesn't say this in the text, but this is just me trying to maybe get inside the disciples' heads for a moment and maybe try to feel what they're feeling and experience what they're experiencing here in this moment with Jesus. Whatever ideas and expectations they had about God and what he was going to do and what it meant to be a person who obeyed God, what it meant to be called the people of God to live in his kingdom, it really was being dismantled in this moment by this man named Jesus. But he's doing it with such love and compassion. As much as he's dismantling their worldview, he's offering the true way to see life and how it was supposed to be. At the same time that he's kind of removing these bricks from their paradigm, he's, he's putting in a firm foundation He's replacing it with what's good and what's true and what's real. And the beautiful thing is he's inviting them to follow him in it. As Jesus is doing this, he's using words like, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They will be comforted. They will inherit the earth. They will be filled. They will be shown mercy. They will see God and they will be called children of God. That all sounds like really good news. That, all, that is hope right there. At the very moment of their kingdoms being dismantled, Jesus is there to build a firm and strong foundation of a kingdom that can never be shaken and never be taken away from them. In the days and the weeks and the months to come, Jesus will continue really to dismantle their kingdoms, their worldviews, but rebuilding a whole new way of living, partnered with God, filled with the Holy Spirit, and watching the kingdom of God come alive around them. He'll say things like this in John 10, I have come so that they would have life and have it to the full. I don't know about you, but that sounds like amazing news. Yeah, it is good news. I want life to the full. I, I don't think anybody in the room wants to live a half-life. 
That sounds pretty terrible. You know, you hear that from Jesus and you're like, something just, I don't know about you, but something grips, something grips me. It's like, oh my goodness. Okay, if you can offer life and life to the full, what am I missing out on? What am I missing out on? It's disruptive, right? It disrupts you. Matthew 11, he says, come, come to me, all who are weary and carrying heavy burdens. I will give you rest. Oh man, rest? That sounds good. Jesus, what are you talking about rest? I don't have rest. It's disruptive. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Jesus is basically saying rest for your soul is basically him saying you're gonna find exactly what you're looking for. In John 3, you could, most of you could probably just quote this off by heart, but for God so loved the world that he what? What did he do? He gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Do you know that eternal doesn't just mean longevity? The word eternal here means substance of life. It's, it's the longevity because it's the most real life, the most substance-filled life that leads into the future. For God did not send his, world, his son into the world to condemn it, but to what? To save it. That's all good news language. I have told you these things so that in me you would have peace. We talked about peace last week. What was the word we used for peace? Do you remember? Shalom, wholeness, rightness, almost like this, this finished product of wholeness. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. What's Jesus saying in all this? He's basically saying, you're not gonna fit. But he's saying that's okay. Jesus says at the end of verse 10, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Following me and being my disciples means you belong to me and you fit with me. But that's gonna mean you're not gonna belong and fit other places. You know that kingdom that's being dismantled right now? You're not gonna be able to go back there again because you're not gonna fit anymore. But Jesus promised something amazing in the middle of all that. He promised Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives, so don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. See, once you step into the good news of Jesus, you'll find exactly what you're looking for. Anybody in the room can testify to that? One person? Come on. Yeah, right? Like, when we, when we are confronted with the good news of Jesus, we find exactly what we're looking for. We live in a strange world. It's a strange time in history. I said last week, COVID, it didn't create the issues or the problems that we see in our world today. It only amplified them, didn't it? And amplifying them, it brought them more into the light. And one thing I noticed, as soon as the lockdowns really started to increase and the isolation started to impact us here, we, we, I don't know about you, but I started to see systems in the world begin to kind of cripple a little bit in a way that I, I didn't quite expect for me to see in my lifetime. Mass unemployment around the world, economic plummeting, global goods, we're seeing this now, like food and even like goods in the world, they're hard to find. There's shortages everywhere. Housing markets crashing and rising. 
It's like COVID was an earthquake that was shaking the ground and it kind of showed us how much our structures may not be as strong as we thought they were. Do you know what I mean? And guess what? The the ground probably isn't done shaking yet. (laughs) Here's an optimistic message today. But here's the sad truth. Here's the sad truth about empires. Like it's the same about the Roman Empire at the time of Jesus or maybe it's the Babylonian Empire or the Egyptian Empire or honestly the English Empire or the Greeks. I could go on. There's been empires throughout all of history. But the sad part about empires is they don't last, do they? They don't last. Because I think there's three things about empires that tend to make them fall apart. They're built on basically human greed, human force, and human pride. There's a lot more going on, but those are kind of like three key things that they're built on. But you know what's crazy? They often fall by human greed, human force, and human pride. Far older and wiser men and women than me have actually made really, really interesting claims about kind of the Western world that we live in today. And kind of drawn parallels between how, how the West functions and how other empires in history have worked. In a way, we are, we are an empire of sorts. Not all, but many of the systems we live in today, if you really go back and study and research and understand, a lot of how we live today is built on human greed, human force, and human pride. Don't hear me, not all of them. There's a lot of good systems in the world, especially like we're coming out of Remembrance Day and the, and the freedom we do live. Like there, don't hear me, I'm not saying everything is like that, but there's a lot in our world that is built on human greed, human force, and human pride. And unfortunately, history tells the story that empires that are built on those three things, they don't last. Because there's always someone bigger There's always someone you had to hurt or betray to build your empire. That's basically how empires are built. I'm stronger and bigger than you, so I'm going to take you down so that I'm in charge. There's always somebody bigger on the playground. It's a joke. (laughs) What if this was a moment in history where we are seeing what happens when the world isn't built on the good news of Jesus? What if we are living in such a moment where the good news of the kingdom of God is going to be so obvious because the kingdoms we have built for ourselves aren't lasting? What if this was a time in history where the good news of Jesus became such a sweet taste because we start to see, you know what, what I'm building for myself isn't isn't taking me for where I wanted it to go. I think it's the same for us as individuals. I know we're talking kind of large-scale systems in the world, but I think it's the same for us as people. If you go with this metaphor with me for a minute, and if you look at empire, I know I'm going to use the word empire for a minute, but, but, but take that as meaning the way we build our lives. If the empire we choose to build for ourselves is maybe climbing the corporate ladder at work, doing whatever necessary to be a success and make as much money as we can, let's dissect that a little bit. What is that built on? For the most part, human greed, human force, and human pride. 
If the empire you choose to build for yourself is zero responsibilities and you want to drink and you want to party and you want to sleep with whomever you want and that's the way you want to live your life, what's that built on? Human greed, human force, and human pride. If the empire or the life you want to choose to build for yourself is kind of just out of your own definition of goodness, you want to have the perfect life with the perfect family, with the perfect car, with the perfect house, with the perfect yard, and the perfect existence so that absolutely nothing could go wrong for you in your, in your world. What's that probably built on? It sounds awesome, but does it get you where you want? I don't think it does because it's built on human greed, human force, and human pride. But I think the invitation from Jesus has never changed. The invitation and the good news from Jesus has never changed. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I'll give you what you're looking for. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You know what hasn't changed during the pandemic? You know what hasn't changed or has been shaken since this pandemic started? And you know what actually has increased and become more present in my life since all this started? The presence of God. I know that's like the cookie cutter church answer, but it's true. The presence of God moving, speaking, reviving, convicting, delivering, discipling, healing, unstoppably all across the world, including here on Graham and Ann. In what world, in a global shortage, economic crisis world, would we finish building a giant building like this? The faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. How in the middle of you know, shutdowns and isolations and everything else. On our opening Sunday, we had almost 200 people in here. Why? The faithfulness of God. Why are we still meeting and seeing God do great things even when the world seems shut down? The faithfulness and the presence of God. In light of all this and wherever we find ourselves today, you know, maybe, we, again, we've been exploring this theme throughout the entire fall. And maybe for you during this, this season of really unpacking what it means to follow Jesus, you've just been, you've been deeply encouraged. Maybe for you, you've, you've unpacked this with us and it's just like, oh wow, the Lord is just being so clear in my life. Like, yes, I am following Jesus. And it's been a huge blessing for you. That's so good. But maybe for you in this series, maybe like, just like the disciples here in this moment, the more and more you learn about Jesus and who he is in the kingdom he's building and the life he's inviting you into, maybe there's some spaces in your life where it's like, ah, I hear you talking about that, but I don't know if I'm experiencing that. And week after week as we keep exploring this, just something, something stirs in your soul for more. There's two things I think we can do. There's two things I think we can do, and I want to invite us into that today. These two things are this. One, just like the disciples, we need to let Jesus dismantle our kingdoms. We need to let Jesus dismantle our kingdoms. And two, we need to let Jesus establish God's kingdom in the place of our kingdoms. It goes back to being poor and meek, to let the true, the, the truth dismantle what we've been building our lives on. 
that's not of God. Whatever is anti-kingdom, whatever is anti-kingdom of God, the good news is we get to let Jesus dismantle that. Maybe it's the cutthroat, no mercy, promotional hunt. Or maybe it's the lust-driven pursuit of relationships or belonging or the, the desire for a perfect life. Like, I can create my own version of a good life. I don't need a God to tell me that. Maybe God is inviting you to live something brand new. Maybe God is inviting you into a real life with him, even if you won't be understood by everybody else. In the letter to the Galatians, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Many of us have probably read that before. Basically, he's saying when you live filled with the Holy Spirit, living into the kingdom of God, this is what comes out of you. It's fruit. It's what you produce. He says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, it's peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'm gonna read that list again. Love and joy and peace. Forbearance, or another way to say that is long-suffering. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't know about you, but I don't think the world around us operates like that. Can you agree? Most of our world does not operate out of the fruit of the Spirit. Honestly, most of the world doesn't even know what to do with that. But have you noticed what happens when you live into that fruit? People ask you questions, don't they? Why are you being so kind to me? <laughs> have you ever had that happen before? No? Good. <laughs> I've had that happen where it's like someone, someone expects you to respond angrily back to them and you just don't. And they're like, they're almost angry by your kindness. Why are you being so nice to me? It's like, whoa. Because there's no parent in, in a world where you're building your own world and you insert love, kindness, grace, and love. There's no paradigm for it. You're living into a different system with a different economy and a different way of life that says, I'm not gonna win by fighting you because we're in this together. We're people, we're not enemies. We get to say in these moments, well, you know what, I follow Jesus. I follow Jesus and he shows me a better way. So I'm not gonna fight you. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Another way to say that is, blessed are those who are per persecuted because of the rightness that you're living. Blessed are you who are persecuted and who are misunderstood because you're living into the thing I'm inviting you into. Because even though it's hard, you know it's the most real way to live. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm gonna invite Michelle to come up and play. I said this earlier this fall, it kind of, it wasn't honestly super intentional, it just kind of in one of the moments I was reading and praying and writing, it just kind of came to me, so I wrote it down. Um, I don't know if it becomes something, I don't know. But it just came to me, so I wrote it. Lighthouse Church, a community of Jesus followers on Graham and Ann who desire to see his kingdom, his way, more alive and more present in our moment. community of Jesus followers who desire to see his kingdom, his way, 
more alive and more present in our moment. Why? It sounds really nice, it's slightly poetic, it makes you feel good, sure. But why? Why? Because the best news, the best news is that there's an answer for brokenness. There's an answer for hurt. There's an answer for loneliness, for striving, for earning, for never measuring up. And that answer is Jesus. Listen, the, the, we talk a lot about the kingdom of God and that's kind of outside of our paradigm because we don't, we don't have kings and queens anymore, right? Like we don't live in a kingdom, we don't. We live in a democracy. So a kingdom is not our paradigm. But what is a kingdom? A kingdom lives under the reign of a king or a queen and the king or the queen is loved by the people so much that they trust the king with their well-being. So when we say we live into the kingdom of God or Jesus is inviting us into the kingdom of God, he means to live under the rule and reign of God. Why? Because we trust God, because he's a good king and, he, and we trust him with our well-being. But that goes against the way the world works. We like being in control of the outcome. I do. I hear the invitation from Jesus to come and die and I'm like, oh, I, that doesn't get me excited. Like it's supposed to hurt a little bit. Dying isn't, I don't think something really awesome. But let's be honest, like, that, we, like Jesus invites us to come and die or come take your cross and follow me. And you're like, that's not really a good invitation. But go, go hang out at recovery ministry somewhere. Go, go hang out with a group of people who aren't afraid to admit that the, what they tried to do didn't work. Go hang out at some AA meeting or something. It's like, it's a group of people that are probably more honest than you and I, who said, I tried and I made a mess of it. I'm glad I'm not king of my life anymore because you know what? It doesn't lead where I wanted it to. best news is we know an answer. The one who loves you. The one who died. Like, let that sink in for a minute. For those of us who have been following Jesus or been in church for a long time, the one who died for you. Like, like yes, Jesus happened in the first century, but I believe he's, he knows your face. He knows your name. Man, he died for you because he loves you. He came back to life for you so that you wouldn't have to buy into the lies that you gotta build your own kingdom. Why do we talk about being set free from the laws of sin and death? Because you're set free from having to earn anything anymore. You're already a part of the family. You just need to respond to it. The table, you got a seat at the table. Jesus is just is waiting for you to come sit and have a meal with him. That's too provocative for us, right? Well, no, I got to earn it. That's not the kingdom. The kingdom is we're all a bunch of goofballs sitting at the table with Jesus, right? Like that's, we don't come worthy. We come redeemed. Like that. If it was up to just my goodness, I wouldn't be standing up here and being your pastor. 
It's because I've let God do something in me that led me here, that led my family here. That's not us, that's God, that's God. Even when our friends don't understand us, even when our family, this is the hard one, even when our family doesn't get it, right? Even when you can't seem to fit in to the liberal party or the conservative party, for the record, no political party lines up perfectly with the kingdom of God. The hope of the world is not a more liberal leader or a conservative leader. The hope of the world is King Jesus. Hope we get a little bit more amens than that, right? Like the hope of the world, like is not the systems we build. Thank you, Lord. Right? <laughs> I think we, political systems are great and we need followers of Jesus in government, but our hope can't be them. That's not gonna lead us anywhere. Is Jesus inviting you to let him dismantle your kingdom a little bit? I know he's been inviting me. Every week I get up here and I'm unpacking this and I'm like, oh man, this was for me this week. Anybody else like that? I was talking to a friend out in the, in the foyer this week of just the, basically exactly being peacemakers. There was a moment they were confronted and you know what was beautiful? I loved how they described it. They talked about how it was in a moment where they had a planned conversation about what they were gonna say and how they were gonna say it. But in the moment, they're like, you know what, I'm not supposed to do that. How would Jesus respond in the moment? That right there is living into the kingdom of God. Well, that doesn't matter. It's just a conversation. Oh man, you have no idea. You have no idea what God wants to do with a conversation. That's living into the kingdom of God. Is there a better kingdom he wants to build in you? Is there a better kingdom he wants to build in you? I'll end with this. There's a moment with Jesus and his followers. It's not in the book of Matthew, it's in the book of John. And Jesus just finished feeding the 5,000. We know that, we know that story. Jesus, Jesus kind of, the, or the crowd returns to Jesus after like the next day or something like that. And they're hungry. Jesus just fed them. They're like, okay, sweet, let's go see Jesus. He'll feed another 5,000 of us. They're aching for more, they're hungry. Like it was literally it, they were hungry. They're like, we're a bunch of peasants, we're a bunch of poor, we need food. But Jesus responds with something very strange. He says this, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. And the crowd is like, Jesus, what the heck are you talking about? Like they literally accused him of being a cannibal. That's how weird it was. It's like, drink your blood, eat your flesh. Jesus, you're crazy. It's, 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 it can be kind of funny because it is kind of weird and funny. But what is Jesus saying? He says, you have, to, you have to consume me. You're hungry for food, yeah, but I can give you something that's way beyond food. This isn't about agreeing with Jesus. Jesus isn't looking for a bunch of people to agree with him. He's looking for people who will consume him. Jesus, I need you in here. I don't know about you, but reading, like this whole series, 
of discovering what it means to follow Jesus. What does it mean to be a listener to the words of Jesus? To not just agree, but to obey. There's a lot of moments where I've been confronted with ways that I'm not listening and not obeying. Anybody with me? Like it's week after week. But the beautiful thing is, God's not inviting me in angrily. He's like, you idiot, get it right, you're a pastor. But we, we, we laugh, but that's kind of how we live, don't we? We live like, I'm not gonna go there because God, you're just gonna be ticked. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. There's mercy waiting for you, for me. Many of the crowd end up leaving. After Jesus says this, they're like, yeah, I'm out. Too weird for me, man, I'm done. But the 12 disciples, they stay. And, and Jesus says, are you guys gonna leave too? P Peter says, the most real and honest thing anybody could say in this moment. He goes, Lord, where else would we go? <laughs> you have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe who you are, the Holy One of God. He's basically saying, Jesus, this is so weird. This goes against everything I knew before I met you. People aren't gonna understand me. I'm not gonna fit in anymore. This doesn't add up. I don't even know where I fit. But you are the only one who offers real life. Where else will I go? And I think we all come to that place, don't we? At some point in our life we do. God, this is so weird. I don't, I, this, this goes against everything I thought it was gonna be. But you are offering me real life. No one and no thing even comes close to offering that. Where else will I go? 